0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Let's turn to Genesis, the third chapter. Again, let me say it's good to see everybody here tonight. And uh, we want you to keep being faithful on Wednesday night. Amen? Amen. The Lord will bless you for it. Praise God. Genesis chapter 3, going to read verse 1. And verse 1 only, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. How many know who the serpent was embodied by and represented there that day in the Garden of Eden? The devil, Satan, that's right. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of every tree Of the garden. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the strategy of Satan. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, It has been said by people who are experts in the subject of war and uh, when nation rises against nation in combat, warfare, down through centuries of man's existence. The experts say that it has always been this way, and probably always will, just by the nature of the conflict, that if you want to uh, increase your chances for victory, that one of the things you most certainly should do is to find out everything that you can about Your enemy. Uh, This is true not just in mortal combat and war among nations, but in uh, any area of life where there uh, are people who take sides. Whether you're a part of a sports team or a boxer going into the ring, uh, the examples in the sports world are many and abundant, or whether you're just in the middle of a family feud. It's uh, If you if you want to have victory, you find out what's going on about your enemy. And there are several reasons for that. Uh, one of those is so that you can know his weaknesses and take advantage of that. And again, that's true in almost every instance of conflict. Uh, and they say also that one of the things, and, and it is true, that can help you uh, make your way closer to victory is to know the strategy of your enemy. And we understand tonight every person in this room, some to a different degree than others, but I'm sure that all of us know that our enemy uh, as we are a member of the kingdom of God, that uh, it is God's arch enemy that is our enemy as well, and we know that to be Satan, the fallen angel that God cast into the earth along with those who uh, took his side in a rebellion eons before time began. and. Uh, The Lord cast him into the earth along with all the fallen angels who are his demons who make up the kingdom of darkness. And uh, he goes by the name of Lucifer uh, and we call him most of the time just the devil. And so uh, I have taught, preached, spoke to you many times over the years about uh, the devil being our enemy and gone into great detail. About him and about fighting against him and winning against him. I felt led to do that again tonight, and uh, lest you think it might be something that you've heard before. I don't think so. I think this is going to come from a different uh, vantage point that will help most of us, if not everyone here. It's going to be a series, at least two part, probably two part. And uh, so tonight, uh, I'm going to make an introduction by telling you. Uh, I used the word arch enemy a while ago. Arch enemy simply means the chief enemy or the most enemy. We have other enemies, spiritual enemies. Uh, One is, I talk a lot about this, our flesh goes by several words or terms in the Bible. It's also the flesh is short for the flesh nature, the sinful man, the carnal man. Uh, All of these are talking about the same thing, but it is that sin nature that we're all born with uh, because Adam and Eve, our great, 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 great ancestors uh, from a human standpoint, disobeyed God and sinned. Was it the first time sin was committed? Just spoke about that a while ago when Satan and uh, the angels that joined him committed the first sin, but it was the first sin committed by man. And uh, we're not told how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before it happened. Uh, The Bible doesn't give us a timeline for that in years or anything that detailed. But uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, they uh, were suddenly uh, with, found themselves uh, having within them this sin nature. And it's, it's a nature to sin. Uh, really, uh, not everything in the phrase I'm about to give you, thank you, brother, uh, is sin nature. But the sin nature is a part of our human nature. And it tends to make us make bad decisions and lead us astray uh, as far as obeying God and doing what's best for us, which is always the will of God and what God wants us to do. So, uh, another one of our enemies besides the sin nature, our flesh, is the world. The Bible calls it, if you translate it uh, in detail, the spirit of the age uh, or the cosmos. And, of course, we know that the devil is called by the Bible the God of this world. It says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. Most of the people that you know who don't serve God, who have been presented with the opportunity to do so, don't serve God because their spiritual eyes have been blinded by the enemy. Uh, And there are other smaller uh, enemies that we have, but those are the main three. And the devil uses our flesh nature and the world against us. And he uses all kinds of things that are in the world uh, to try to draw us away from living in the will of God and obeying God and tempting us to sin, or if he can't do that, tempting us to not increase our, uh, the value and our closeness with God and, and our relationship with him any way that he can because the devil, again, as the arch enemy of God, hates God. And because we are his children, in fact, all of the human race, because it was created by God, even those who are not saved, Satan hates because they are the creation of God, and he hates God. So, let's talk tonight about the strategy that Satan uses. And I'm going to, as a basis for this study, make a statement uh, that I don't know if you've heard before or not, but it is true. The devil appeared to Jesus when he was on the earth, when God came to the earth in the form of man, at the beginning of his ministry, before Jesus began his earthly ministry at age 30. He went into the wilderness and was tempted there of the devil three times. Uh, at the end of 40 days of fasting and prayer. And um, the Bible records at least four other people throughout history besides Jesus that the devil appeared to. And the basis for this two-part lesson is to look at and to dissect those four events when the devil Uh, appeared to these four human beings and see what he did and learn what we can from the Word of God uh, about those events that occurred so that we can learn to uh, better fight against the devil and win and defeat him. Those four persons are Eve that I'm going to talk about, Job, David, And Joshua. Now, three of those were not aware that Satan was on the scene working in their lives, that he had appeared to try to get back at God through them because he knew that these four individuals uh, were loved by God and were close to God and were a part of or at least a part of God's plan. Uh, Eve was the only one that it's recorded he actually had conversation with. But the other three, Job, David, and Joshua, Lucifer appeared on the scene, and he had a strategy that he put in place to try to, through these four individuals, get back at God and bring God down in defeat, at least partially. So... Uh, And and I'll review this as we go to each of these four, but let me just lay a foundation here with each of these four individuals. uh, And for us as well, Satan's target was four different things. Uh, With Eve, his target was the mind. With Job, his target was the body. With David, his target was the will, the human will. And the last one, Joshua, this is not the Joshua that you may have thought of that was Moses' successor that led the children of Israel into uh, Canaan. It's not that Joshua. It is a Joshua mentioned many years later in the Bible who was a priest uh, after Samuel, some years after Samuel. And uh, there's really not that much said about him. But Satan got involved in one of God's priests, in his uh, system of the law and the worship of the people of God. So, we're going to talk about that. He, uh, the devil, came to the, uh, the scene of this priest by the name of Joshua and dealt with his heart and conscience. So, Satan's target can be your mind. It can be your body. He can work on your will, and he can work through your heart and conscience. And uh, again, as a foundation, the weapons that Satan used in these four instances, with Eve it was lies, with Job it was suffering, with David it was pride, and with Joshua the priest it was accusation. And we're going to go through the Bible in just a minute and see, well, in this series, how the devil used these weapons. And guess what? He still uses the same weapons on you and I today. He uses lies. He uses suffering, our suffering. He uses pride, our pride. And he uses accusation against us. And his purpose is uh, to create in you four things. And we'll see the first one in Eve and the second one in Job, the third one in David, and the fourth in Joshua the priest. First of all, he tries to create in you and I an ignorance of God's will. And this is his purpose. This is his goal. And in all four of these cases, it has to do with the will of God. In Eve, he showed where he tries to prey upon our ignorance of God's will. That's why you've got to pray for and seek to know the will of God. It's very important. In Job's case, uh, he came against Job in such a way, and, and his purpose was in Job and in us as well, to bring impatience in us with God's will. So first we have ignorance of God's will, then impatience with God's will. The Bible says, in your patience, possess ye your soul. In the case of David, he tried, uh, his purpose was to bring about an independence from God's will. In other words, saying, well, uh, you know, God, this is what you want me to do. But I think that this way, my way is better. Uh Uh-uh. Never will be, never has been, never will be. And finally, number four, through Joshua and in the attack on Joshua the priest, the devil's purpose was to bring about an indictment by God's will, or by supposedly God's will. That's what he does when he accuses. I, I'm glad to tell you that these four individuals, their, their uh, defense against Satan's attack and Satan's strategy we have available to us tonight. Amen. Our defense is still, in Eve's case, the Word of God. Satan attacks with lies. He said, has God said? And we reply back and fight back with the Word of God. In the case of Job, we also have what Job had available to him, the grace of God. And again, I'm going to go all over all these in detail tonight. Probably get to just one to Eve this evening, tonight and next Wednesday night. The third case, in David's case, David had and we have, thank God, the Spirit of God in our defense. Amen. And finally, in the case of Joshua the priest, we also have, as he did, and you'll see this is so wonderful uh, in this case to read how God Comes to our rescue Himself through the intercession of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that He ever uh, liveth to make intercession for us. How many are glad the Lord Jesus is interceding for you tonight? So, again, by way of introduction, the devil appeared to Eve as a deceiver in Genesis, the third chapter. He appeared to Job as a destroyer if god would have allowed him to the devil would have wiped job off the face of the earth god said you can't do that first he said you can't touch his body his health you can have everything else you want to do with him When when the devil came back after that didn't get done what he wanted to get done then god said you can touch his body now and take away his health So he appeared to Job as a destroyer, to Eve as a deceiver. He appeared to David as a ruler, which, by the way, was the same way he appeared to Jesus. You see, the devil knew uh, that he he wouldn't get anywhere with Jesus by using the Word of God and twisting it as he did with Eve because he knew that Jesus knew what he himself had written in his work. But he came to David as a ruler, and that's how he came to Jesus. Remember, he said to Jesus, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, these are mine. And he wasn't lying, because when Adam sinned, then uh, Adam lost his uh, lordship over the earth and gave it to the devil. Uh, So, he came to David as a ruler, as a fellow ruler. What he did was he thought he would uh, connect with David's many years as a king and see if it had gone to David's head and if he could somehow get an inroad in there to get David to sin. And he did. He was successful in doing that. And I'll give you the details next week. Finally, number four, the devil appeared to Joshua as an accuser, and he is the accuser of the bed, uh, the brethren, and you sisters too. So, let's get started in detail with number one. It's probably all I'll have time for tonight. Let's go to Eve as the deceiver. Put up Genesis 3 and 1 again, and we'll read through verse 7. The serpent, which was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, you understand Satan is embodied in the serpent. He took on the form of a snake. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail here. Uh, I don't know if the devil and the snake, the animal, the snake, had uh, a conversation before this. I mean, you can read between the lines if you want to. It's It's what I tell people every time I teach a Bible study series Uh, And I'm going to go from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I usually use a Search for Truth or Exploring God's Word. And I tell them in the first lesson, uh, the Bible is not meant to be a history book, Uh, a, a complete history book. In other words, it does not contain the entire history of man or the earth. Now, it does have some history in it. But God never intended it for it to be an exhaustive or completely thorough containing everything about the history of the world and mankind. It's got just enough history that God wanted us to know. In fact, I make that statement about everything that's in the Bible. This is God's word to us, to mankind, and it contains in it not only does it not have all of history? It does not have the answer to every question you and I or somebody you know might come up with. But here's one thing I can bank my eternity on and tell you, I guarantee this is true. Whatever it says is true. So if you or I have a question and we say, what about thus and though and thus and so and so? Uh, let's, let's say the dinosaurs. Well, the Bible doesn't mention the dinosaurs, does it? It Uses the word Leviathan, which means a dragon or a great sea monster, but it it could have been talking about something that's in the ocean uh, besides dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, I think most of them lived on land. So I said, here's what we have to do. This is what I tell my Bible study students. When the Bible says something, believe it. When you ask the question, if the Bible gives the answer, then then we know what the answer is. But if the Bible doesn't give the answer to your question, then we don't know. Again, going back to the illustration of the dinosaurs, uh, I had a, a high school science teacher, ninth grade. He was a short man, great teacher. He was the kind of teacher that everybody loved because uh, he just made class, you know, exciting. He taught the material in a way that kept your interest, and uh, I guess because he was downright funny uh, was another reason why. We liked going to his class. Can't remember his name, but I remember the first day of class, uh, the teachers used to have desks, oh, about this tall. I'm going to say this tall in the, in the school that I went to in high school. First day in class, he amazed all of us by flat foot jumping from the floor of the classroom to the top of that desk, flat-footed. Not many people can do that, at least not under the age of 18 or 20. And most of them probably couldn't do it. But the one thing I remember about his class besides that, that was just for free, was that when we got to, uh, in the science book, this was physical science, you know, basic science, your first high school uh, class in science, he said, the Bible does not contradict uh, what scientists say about evolution. I disagree with that, but nonetheless, he, his interpretation of it was, was okay. He said, when you read Genesis 1 and 1, it says, In the beginning God created the earth. Okay? And then verse 2, it says, And uh, God moved upon the face of the, the waters. Okay? Okay? Uh, and began basically began the seven days of creation. And uh, I've heard preachers even say this, that there is a theory. You can theorize that there was a a vast expanse of time between what happened in verse 1 and what happened in verse 2. And it was in in that time in between, in other words, before God started the rest of creation. He created the earth in verse 1, but before he did the rest of it, There was a vast expanse of time. And the dinosaurs fall in there somewhere. Now, can we say unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, that's true? No. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say that. But could it be true? I suppose that it could. Now, I've discussed that theory with other people, preachers and saints, and and some of them said, no, it couldn't be true because the Bible says seven days And that's it. It was seven days. Uh, I remember, oh, yeah, the the science teacher said, uh, it says in the New Testament that a day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years and 1,000 years as a day. So that uh, boosted his argument for evolution and creation coexisting. I don't believe that, but anyway, he did. Here's the bottom line. If this book says it, you can believe it. If it doesn't, don't know. And that's the way you should look at everything in this life. Now, Satan came to Eve through the snake. I don't know, to get back to my, my lesson, if if the animal, the snake, and the devil had a conversation and the snake said, yeah, you can come and inhabit my body. Or if the devil just made up the body of a snake and and. Uh, appeared like that to the enemy He, he, he can't create, only God can do that, but maybe he just appeared as that to her, and that's what she saw. At any rate, we do know that the animal called the snake received God's curse, and the snake, the animal, was bound for the rest of the history of the earth to have no legs and to crawl in the dust on its belly. That I do know. But here's what happened. I do know this, that Satan came to Eve looking like a snake. Let's read the next verse. Oh, wait a minute. We didn't finish reading that verse. He said unto the woman, I just want you to understand it's the devil talking, not a snake. Yea, hath God said. Now, this is a question. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, uh put it back on verse 1, brother. This is why I'm only going to have time for Eve tonight. This is how the devil often will come to a human being in his first line of attack by causing you to question God's word. He will mix and he doesn't tell usually most of the time especially in the beginning of his attack he usually will not tell bold faced, blatant, right out 100% lies, but he will mix truth, which is God's word, with lies. And that's exactly what he did with Eve. He, he started off even uh, making his uh, accusation against what God had said in the form of a question, trying to be subtle trying to not uh, come on too powerfully to her and thus make her afraid or put up defenses. And that's exactly how the devil works many times on we human beings, both sinners and we saints. Some of the good people that you know and have been to church with have worshipped God together with, perhaps people in your family, people in other churches. We all here tonight know somebody who got tripped up by the devil because he succeeded in getting them to question what God said in his word. That's why you've got to know this book, my friend. You've got to know what God has said to you and I. So, Satan's target is the mind. Has God said you shouldn't eat of the tree of the garden? Verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Next verse, except for the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat of it. Don't even touch it lest you die. Now Satan begins to interject The lie, next verse, the serpent said unto the woman, you, you you won't die. And so because he came on so lightly and with kid gloves, she is interested long enough. Now, what she should have done right then is turn around and walk away. And that's what you should do every time you are tempted to not believe the word of God. It says it, if it's settled, if it says it, it's settled. In fact, the Bible says of itself that the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. Every one of us may not believe it on earth in this life, but, but it's settled. And, and those inhabitants of heaven, the angels of God's host, know that. Now, uh, he said, you won't surely die. So, instead of turning around and walking away because the devil was, was not very blunt and bold when he first came to her, she sticks around to listen. Let's see what he says next. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, there's a lot in this verse. Let me, let me go through it, though, as quickly as I can. This verse is lies and truth mixed together, intermingled. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. That part is true. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, uh, the last phrase, you'll know good and evil, that's true. The part that's false in what he said in this verse is, and ye shall be as gods. Uh, Nobody's God but God. Now, Satan thought he was God or wanted to be God or be like God. That's what the Scripture says. I will, uh, you quote it verbatim. It's either Ezekiel or uh, I forgot the other book. It says, I will be like God. What the devil really wanted was God's worship. He loved that. He saw something about that that he just had to have. But the devil here mixes lies and truth. And then the next verse says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now notice there, saw, your eyes will get you in trouble. The Bible divides the lust of uh, the flesh, it divides our sin nature, our carnal man, into three separate and distinct areas the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Now, and the devil uses all three against we humans. I'm not going to go into the details about those three. Maybe we'll do that at some point in the future. But her eyes saw the fruit, and apparently, I don't know, maybe she was hungry, but she wanted to eat the fruit. It looked good. Everything the devil and the world presents you, uh, a lot of it looks good. But everything about it that looks good, I can tell you right now, it's not going to end up being good in the the end. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. So she bought the lie. It was a tree to be desired because it would make her wise. And she had the desire to be wise. So she took of the fruit and ate Gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Oh, my. Again, this is one of the places in the Bible where there's a whole lot that's not being said that we are not told. Specifically about why Adam ate the fruit too. Why he chose to disobey God's only command of, The only thing he couldn't have that we read in the Bible up until this point, he disobeyed God by partaking of it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the devil works on us many times as well. He'll try to offer us things we we don't need in God's sight, and God says, it's not good for you. You shouldn't have it. And the devil will every time try to make us come up with reasons why we can disobey God and go ahead and partake of it. This is how subtle Satan is. And and, and here's another thing, if Satan had appeared to Eve in his true form, she probably never would have even started the conversation. But he took upon himself the form of an animal. Again, we're not told this, but it's quite possible. She was familiar with the snake, that she'd seen him before. And, and it, it may have very well been one of the animals that Adam named. God said, name all the animals. So, it's it's a good possibility. The Bible doesn't say so, so we can't say for sure. But it's a good possibility that Adam even gave that animal its name, serpent, which later uh, was added snake. So... uh Adam, you know, I've heard preachers say, theories. Again, theories. Well, Adam loved his wife so much, he saw that she was in a bunch of trouble, and uh, he just couldn't stand the thought of her uh, going through whatever it was she was going to go through. God said she's going to die. The Bible says, Paul said it in the New Testament, that Adam was not deceived. It says Eve was deceived. She didn't know fully what she was getting into. She shouldn't have done it nonetheless. But Adam was not deceived. He knew full well he was disobeying God. He knew that the consequences were that he would die. So the theory, again, a theory is that he did it so he would put himself in the same boat with his wife because he loved her so much. Now, that sounds great, and it might be true. There's nobody that I know, and there's nobody alive that can prove that's not the reason Adam did it. But there's nobody that can prove it was the reason Adam did it. You can have your own uh, belief about that theory. There's other theories, but I won't go into them. But we do know that, that Adam did it. Uh, knowing full well, having full knowledge what he did. So, here's what we learn. Uh, Let's go one more verse. Did I give you verse 7? And the eyes of them both were opened. The devil said that would happen. And they knew that they were naked. Didn't say that would happen. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And you know the rest of the story. God and man were completely cut off from one another as far as God was concerned in his original intent for creating man in the first place, and that was to have a personal, one-on-one, intimate love relationship that would last for eternity. starts here on earth where everybody that's born gets a chance to think about whether they want that or not. And if they do, then they obey God's plan for whatever time dispensation they may have lived in. Or live in, and once they follow God's plan for being saved or being put in right relationship with God during that time dispensation, then they would be saved or put into that relationship with God. So this life is nothing more than a dress rehearsal for eternity, for you to decide where you want to go. So, um, so he came to Eve as a deceiver now satan's target in this part of his strategy in his attacking in this way his target is your mind i uh, put up second corinthians 11 and 3 brother terry did i give you that one? 2 corinthians 11 3 maybe not well i'll turn it and read it you'll probably have it before i do see what did i say that was it Oh, I gave you 13. Well, that's coming later. Let's go ahead and read that, though. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostle of Christ. Satan works by deceit and lying. Uh, How about Colossians 3, verse 9? Did I not give you that one either? Okay. Okay. Um, all right, Well, right, we'll do this the old-fashioned way. I gave Brother Terry a really long list, and I thought I gave him all the ones I wanted to, but I, I guess I didn't. I apologize for that. Colossians, chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you've never memorized the order of the books of the Bible, it's a good thing to have, a good tool belt to have, under you, or you can let your phone do it for you. Colossians 3 and verse 9 it says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So we know that lying is something God hates. It should not be a part of our life. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. How about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17? I'll read it. I'll tell you what, I'll just read these, and if you have them, you can put them up. Ephesians 4 and 17, for this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Some people let their mind be like the mall or um, let's say a nightclub. They let anything in. Don't do that with your mind. Be careful with your mind. Be careful what you let into your mind. So let's take that further back a step. And and a lot of times we don't even think about this. That means be careful what you let your eyes look at. On TV, in a book, on the internet. Be careful what you hear with your ears in all of those sources, or wherever you hear something. It's because your eyes and your ears are the main sensory organs through which information is inputted into your mind. And your mind is the seat of your consciousness. And It's there that God communicates with you. Verse 18 says, uh, having the understanding darkened, these people who just let any old thing into their mind, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Uh, ignorance has to do with things that are not in your mind. You need to have the knowledge of God, specifically His Word, as much as you can get in your mind. Uh, because of the blindness of their heart, who being fast peeling, uh, fa- fast feeling, verse 19, have given themselves over unto here we have sin coming in because of a problem of what's let into the mind over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness but ye have not so learned christ if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him that's the word of god as the truth that's the word of god is in jesus that she put off concerning the former conversation or behavior the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us. That's your flesh nature, your sin nature. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We have got to guard our mind. And if we do that, then... God's will will be done in our lives. How about uh, Romans 12 and 2? Okay. That's right, Brother Kenny. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How are we supposed to stay away and be successful in not being like the world? It tells us by the Uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect what? There it is again, the will of God. How about uh, John 17, 17? What's the next verse you have, brother, after Romans 12 and 2? Just so I'll know. Um, wh- what's the next one you have? I need to know that. John, John 8? Okay. Well... Let me look at something. Oh, I've gone hadn't reached that part. Okay. Well, let's go to uh have you got Ephesians or Psalm one nineteen one oh five? I see that on my list. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, in Bible days, uh, they had to have two kinds of lighting. A lamp and a light here are two different things. A lamp is something that uh, the person held at night. There was no such thing as electricity. Uh, I don't know if they used kerosene or some Form thereof. I guess it wasn't uh, kerosene uh, manufactured, but they used oil. Maybe it was olive oil that would burn. They used for light at night. But they carried one and then a light into my path. That was in places well-traveled, particularly in cities. They would have pots that would be stationary that would sit where they uh, were all the time to provide light for your feet. So the lamp in your hand would provide light for what was ahead of you and the, uh, the light that was stationary on the footpaths or the streets would let you know what was close by you. Either way, they represent the Word of God which reveals the Word of God, the will of God. If you know God's Word, the more you know it, the more you will be equipped to know His will for your life and how you are to conduct your life. Uh, you got Psalm 46 and 8, okay, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. You need to know God's works. You need to know how He works. You need to know how He moves, what pleases Him, uh, how you can Uh, Fulfill God's desires for your life. And then uh, Psalm 33 and 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. That's another way of saying the word of God will never change. It will never fail. It will never be dissipated. It will always be what it always has been. Ephesians 5 and 17 Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There it is again. Did you know the Bible says, uh, by by two or three, let every word be established? But when the Bible gives you several dozen scriptures about a particular subject, that's the ones you want to hone in on and really give attention to. And the will of God falls in that category. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 17. Did I give you that one? Uh, Okay, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And finally, Colossians 1 and 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now, I love the prayers of Paul. This is one of them. To desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You need to pray that prayer for yourself and your family at least once a month. I do. So, the Word of God. The devil knows that the Word of God reveals the will of God. And when you are in the will of God, my friend, you are more likely to be happy and fulfilled and blessed. Praise God. So, finally, uh, the last point for tonight in the devil. And his strategy, attacking with lies as a deceiver, is your defense is the Word of God. Uh, I'm not going to read it because of time's sake, but you remember I mentioned this, alluded to this a while ago, the temptation of Jesus in the the wilderness. Uh, Every temptation that the devil came against Jesus with, his response his reaction, the Lord's fighting back, was quoting to the devil the Word of God. The Bible calls it the sword of the Spirit. So, if the Lord did it, why don't we follow His example? If He did it, surely it must be the thing to do. Amen. The Word of God is powerful in an attack against the devil. Ephesians 6 17, do we have that one? All right. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, uh, I'm not going to do this either, but if you read all of the pieces of armor that uh, Paul uses as an allegory uh, for the soldier of war in that day, and he mentions uh, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the the shield of faith, different armor pieces and what they correspond to in your arsenal of spiritual weapons to use in fighting against the enemy, the only one that is really a weapon of offense or offense is the sword. The rest of the uh, weapons that he lists are pretty much defensive. Uh, I'm not sure whether the the shoes of the preparation of the gospel piece is offensive or defensive. But the sword uh, is able to cut asunder into the enemy. And the word of God can bring the lies of the devil down in defeat. That's why you've got to know the word of God, my friend. You've got to know what it says. Uh, Psalm 119 and 11 Thy word, that's why you got to do this, have I hid in mine heart, the heart is another uh, term for the mind, that I might not sin against thee. And here the writer, the psalmist is saying uh, uh, about the importance of the word of God. Put it in your heart. Again, if the, the word does not take very much uh, precedence in your life, if it's Farther down on your list of life priorities as to how you spend your time, then you're going to be spiritually weak accordingly. But the more you spend time in the Word, and there are several ways that the Word comes to us, and as uh, I can hear myself saying this a hundred times over the last 30 years, come to church every service you can possibly get here, and you know whether you can come or not. There is a fine line. I realize when There's a place where it's between I just can't possibly make it because I'm uh, on my deathbed. And then uh, uh, I can come. Nothing's pulling at me. Nothing's tearing at me. Nothing's trying to get me to stay home from church tonight or this afternoon. We all are somewhere in between. And in the middle of that, it can go either way. It really can't. There really is a will of God for you to attend a service and I realize as pastor, I don't know what that is, and I can't judge you for that. Do I know of a certainty that, that people miss? Somebody misses every single church service we have at this church and every other church in the world for that matter. Somebody could have gone, should have gone, but they didn't in this and every other church. So it's not just this church. You need to do the will of God. And if there's any way you can get here, even if it's through pain, I I hardly ever feel 100% any time I come to church. And I know I have to come because I'm the pastor, but I come because I want to because I know I need to. Psalm 37, 31, we're coming to a close. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Praise God. Uh, did I give you John fourteen twenty six? This is the last one. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, the Holy Ghost is a teacher. It's a Comforter. Uh, Jesus here says, my spirit is going to teach you all things that you need to know. What is it that the Holy Ghost teaches us? It teaches us the Word of God. And Jesus says that here. He says, I will bring, or my Spirit, the Holy Ghost, will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's the Word of God. And he wasn't just talking about his words to those disciples when he was on the earth, he was talking about all of the Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And isn't it neat, it's fascinating to me how the Holy Ghost in us and the Word work together. The Spirit of God, to use a King James English word, in you quickens, that word means makes alive uh, the Word of God in you. Uh, We've all had that experience where we were in a situation in life. And all of a sudden, a scripture came to our mind. Guess what? The more you have read, the more you have been to church and heard a preacher preach and teach the Word of God, the more you've looked it up on your tablet or your phone or your computer, the more you read it in the good old fashioned hard book style at your house, the more immersed in the Word of God you have been in your life, the more of it is going to be there available. To, for the Holy Ghost to bring to your remembrance. My job as a pastor, musicians come, let me, let me give them some hope tonight. My job as a pastor can be said, there's several things that I have to do, but one of the main tasks a pastor has is to simply remind you good people that I love dearly and count it a great privilege to be your pastor is to remind you over and over and over again how important it is to come to church, put the Word of God in your life, to worship God, to give God to God. Those are the four main uh, things that if if we had such a thing in existence that we would put on a Christian's report card and see how we're doing. That seems kind of carnal, but uh, the Bible also, and this is another lesson for another time, another day, another service, the Bible also tells us how important it is to take self-inventory. Judge yourself, it says, that you be not judged. For if you would judge yourself, then you can save, we can save ourselves some heartache and some trouble and some things we really don't want to go through. Let's stand together tonight. Why don't we just do that in closing in prayer? Ask God to help us. Show us maybe he's already done that while the word was going forth. Maybe an area of improvement or something we need to do better. Nothing wrong with that. We all are in that boat. We're all at just different levels of that. But we all can do better. Amen. Even me. Let's pray. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these precious people that you've given me to pastor and to let your love flow through me to them. I trust tonight, God, that I've been your vessel to just remind them of some things that are so very important about how the enemy works and how important it is to not let him beat up on us, but to fight back. Every day, use the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds that the enemy tries to and has at times built up in our life, God, that keep us away from some of your blessings, that keep us away from walking in your will. Help us, God, not to do that, not to yield to that kind of thing, but help us to seek you first in everything, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and your word and what you have said in your word. Help us to. Fall in love, not just with you, but with the truth, for it says it's those who did not have a love for the truth, even though they may have walked in it, who end up being lost. Give me a love for your truth, a love for your word. Help me to be quick to recognize the deceit, the lies of the enemy when it comes against me and to know that it doesn't come from a a, a, a demon spirit appearing before me, but it comes through everything that happens around me and things that I hear on a daily basis, through the resources of this world, God, help us to walk in your will and reap the benefits and the blessings thereof. Thank you for it, Jesus. I praise you for it and thank you for it. And I ask it according to your will. Somebody said, In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight. Greet one another. Tell somebody you love them in the Lord. Tell them, I'm going to invite somebody to church this Sunday. How about you? God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.